0: Chapter 13 of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hannah Parrott. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter 13. Now the nights are all passed over, of our dreaming dreams that hover in a mist of fair false things knights afloat on wide wan wings why so it is our own dicky in the flesh and an admirable temper apparently says mr beauclerk shall we come and interview him they move forward and presently find themselves at mr brown's elbow he is however so far lost in his kindly ridicule of the poor, silly, revolving atoms before him, that it is not until Miss Kavanagh gives his arm a highly suggestive pinch that he learns that she is beside him. "Whoa!" says he, shouting out this unclassic, if highly expressive word, without the slightest regard for decency. "'What fingers you've got! I really think you might reserve that kind of thing for Mr. Dysart.' he'd like it this is a most infelicitous speech and miss kavanagh might have resented it but for the strange fact that beauclerk on hearing it laughs heartily well if he doesn't mind it can't matter but how silly dicky can be mr beauclerk continues to laugh with much enjoyment try him says he to miss with the liveliest encouragement in his tone if it occurs to her that perhaps lovers as a rule do not advise their sweethearts to play fast and loose with other men she refuses to give heed to the warning he is not like other men he is not basely jealous he knows her he trusts her he had hinted to her but just now so very very kindly that she was suspicious that she must try to conquer that fault if it is hers and it is there can be no doubt of that she had even distrusted him is that your advice asks mr brown regarding him with a rather piercing eye capital under the circumstances but rather eh has it ever occurred to you that dysart is capable of a good deal of feeling so few things occur to me i'm ashamed to say says Beauclerk genially, "I take the present moment. It is all sufficing so far as I am concerned. Well, and so you tell me, Dysart has feeling. Yes, I shouldn't advise Miss Covenar to play pranks with him." says Dicky, with a pretentiously rueful glance at the arm she has just pinched so very delicately. "You're a poor soldier," says she, with a little scornful uptilting of her chin. You wrong Mr. Dysart if you think he would feel so slight an injury. What, a mere touch from me? Your touch is deadlier than you know, perhaps, says Mr. Brown lightly. What a slander, says Miss Kavanagh, who, in spite of herself, is growing a little conscious. Yes, isn't it? says Beauclerk, to whom she has appealed. As for me, he breaks off suddenly and fastens his gaze severely on the other side of the room by jove i had forgotten there is my partner for this dance looking daggers at me dear miss kavanagh you will excuse me won't you shall i take you to your chaperone or will you let brown have the remainder of this waltz i'll look after miss kavanagh if she will allow me says Dickie rather dryly will you with a quizzical glance at joyce she makes a little affirmative sign to him returns beauclerc's parting bow and still with a heart as light as a feather stands by mr brown's side watching in silence the form of beauclerc as it moves here and there amongst the crowd what a handsome man he is how distinguished how tall how big every other man looks dwarfed beside him presently he disappears into an anteroom and she turns to find Mr. Brown, for a wonder, as silent as herself, and evidently lost in thought. "'What are you thinking of?' asks she. "'Of you!' "'Nonsense! What were you doing just then, when I spoke to you?' "'I have told you.' "'No, you haven't. What were you doing?' "'Hankering,' says Mr. Brown heavily. "Dicky," says she, indignantly. "'Well, what?' do you suppose a fellow gets rid of a disease of that sort all in a minute it generally lasts a good month i can tell you but come that beautiful star of yours that shines in your heaven so bright has given you into my charge what can i do for you deliver me from the wrath of that man over there says miss kavanagh indicating mr blake who with a thunderous brow is making his way towards her the last was his i forgot all about it take me away dicky somewhere anywhere i know he's got a horrid temper and he is going to say uncivil things where here she meanly tries to get behind mr brown shall we go right through this door says mr brown who as a rule is equal to all emergencies he pushes her gently towards the conservatory she has just quitted that has steps leading from it to the illuminated gardens below and just barely gets her safely ensconced behind a respectable barricade of greenery before mr blake arrives on the spot they have just vacated they have indeed the satisfaction of seeing him look vaguely round murmur a gentle anathema or two and then resign himself to the inevitable He's gone says miss Kavanagh with a sigh of relief To perdition says mr. Brown in an awesome tone. I Really wish you wouldn't dickie says Joyce Why not you seem to think men's hearts are made of adamant a moment ago? You sneered at mine and now by Jove. Here's Baltimore and alone for a wonder Well his heart is adamant says she softly or hers, which? Of course, manlike, you condemn our sex. That's why I'm glad I'm not a man. Why? Because if you were, you would condemn your present sex? Certainly not, because I wouldn't be of an unfair, mean, ungenerous disposition for the world. Good old Joe, says Mr. Brown, giving her a tender pat upon the back. By this time Baltimore has reached them. "'Have you seen Lady Baltimore anywhere?' asks he. "'Not quite lately,' says Dickie. Last June I saw her she was dancing with Farnham. "'Oh, after that she went to the library,' says Joyce quickly. "'I fancy she may be there still, because she looked a little tired.' "'Well, she had been dancing a good deal,' says Dicky. "'Thanks. I dare say I'll find her.' says baltimore with an air of indifference hurrying on i hope he will says joyce looking after him i hope so too and in a favorable temper you're a cynic dicky under all that airy manner of yours says miss kavanagh severely come out to the gardens the air may cool your brain and reduce you to milder judgments of lady baltimore yes truly i do seem to be sitting in judgment on her and her family her family what has bertie done oh there is more family than bertie says mr brown she has a brother hasn't she meantime lord baltimore taking joyce's hint makes his way to the library to find his wife there lying back in a huge armchair she is looking a little pale a little ennuyé. It is plain that she has sought this room one too public to be in much request with a view to getting away for a little while from the noise and heat of the ballroom not dancing says her husband standing well away from her she had sprung into a sitting posture the moment she saw him an action that has angered Baltimore his tone is uncivil his remark it must be confessed superfluous Why does she persist in treating him as a stranger? Surely, on whatever bad terms they may be, she need not feel it necessary to make herself uncomfortable on his appearance. She has evidently been enjoying that stolen lounge, and now— The lamplight is streaming full upon her face. A faint colour has crept into it. The white velvet gown she is wearing is hardly whiter than her neck and arms, and her eyes are as bright as her diamonds, yet there is no feature in her face that could be called strictly handsome. This, Baltimore tells himself, staring at her as he is, in a sort of insolent defiance of the cold glance she has directed at him. No, there is no beauty about that face, distinctly bred, calm and pure, It might possibly be called charming by those who liked her, but nothing more. She is not half so handsome as-as any amount of other women he knows, and yet-it increases his anger towards her tenfold to know that in her secret soul she has the one face that to him is beautiful, and ever will be beautiful. You see, says she gently and with an expressive gesture, I longed for a moment's pause, so I came here. Do they want me? She rises from her seat, looking very tall and graceful. If her face is not strictly lovely, there is at all events no lack of loveliness in her form. I can't answer for they, says Baltimore, but-he stops dead short here. If he had been going to say anything, the desire to carry out his intention dies upon the spot. No, I am not aware that they, or anybody, want you particularly at this moment. Pray sit down again. I have had quite a long rest already. You look tired, however, are you? Not in the least. Give me this dance, then, says he, half-mockingly, yet with a terrible earnestness in his voice. Give it to you? Thank you, no! Fearful of contamination? With a smiling sneer. "'Pray spare me your gibes,' says she very coldly, her face whitening. "'Pray spare me your presence,' you should rather say. "'Let us have the truth at all hazards. "'A saint like you should be careful.' "'To this she makes him no answer. "'What?' cries he sardonically. "'And will you miss this splendid opportunity "'of giving a sop to your Siberius, "'of consolating your bugbear?' your bet noire your fear of gossip i fear nothing icily. you do however forgive the contradiction with a sarcastic inclination of the head but for this fear of yours you would have cast me off long ago and bade me go to the devil as soon as nay the sooner the better and indeed if it were not for the child by the by do you forget i have a hold on him a stronger than yours "'I forget nothing either,' returns she as icily as before, but now a tremor, barely perceptible, but terrible in its intensity, shakes her voice. "'Ha! you need not tell me that. You are relentless as—well, fate comes in handy,' with a reckless laugh. "'Let us be conventional by all means. And it is a good old simile, well worn. You decline my proposal then?' it is a sensible one and should suit you dance with me tonight when all the county is present and mother grundy goes to bed with a sore heart scandal lies slain all will cry aloud there they go fast friends in spite of all the lies we have heard about them is it possible you can deliberately forego so great a chance of puzzling our neighbours i can why where is your sense of humor one trembles for it to be able to deceive them all so deliriously to send them home believing us on good terms a veritable loving couple he breaks into a curious laugh this is too much says she her face now like death you would insult me believe me that not to spare myself all the gossip with which the whole world could hurt me would I enjoy your arm around my waist his short-lived most unmirthful mirth has died from him he has laid a hand upon the table near him to steady himself you are candid on my soul says he slowly she moves quickly towards the door her velvet skirt sweeping over his feet as she goes by the perfume of the violets lying in her bosom reaches him hardly knowing his own meaning he puts out his hand and catches her by her naked arm just where the long glove ceases above the elbow isabel give me this dance says he a little wildly no she shakes herself free of him a moment her eyes blaze into his No, she says again, trembling from head to foot. Another moment and the door has closed behind her. End of chapter 13